Like our veins, rivers course through land, nourishing life. Essential and yet depleted, these passageways carry the histories of care and sovereignty, displacement and degradation, resistance and survival. Despite interruptions, damming and pollution, rivers are underestimated, stronger and more determined than shallow colonial engineering. We are born of the water rivers carry, we are sustained by it and it cleanses us. They are sites of devotion and exploitation, of new life and of loss, of abundance and scarcity. Rivers is the grounding theme of this episode. A River Enters the Ocean was a seven-hour public walk organised by Auntie Rhonda Dixon-Grosvenor, Estrida Namanis and Claire Britton, starting in Campsie at high tide and following the water out of the river to Botany Bay. Uh, Warimi, Garigou, uh, Pichigou, Dark. Nora Walamabimi, Inyana Bwayalwa, Naya Nailam, Budri Darabari Yanu. Welcome to Gadigal Land. Uh, my name's Annie Rhonda Dixon Grosvenor, and I'm a Gadigal Bidjigal Daraguan elder. Thanks, Annie Rhonda. I'd like to reiterate that welcome and acknowledgement that we've had there and say how grateful I am to be um, speaking today from traditional lands. My name is Claire Britton and I'm a visual artist I'm based in Sydney and for the last five years or so I've been at the Sydney College of the Arts completing a research project that's that's focused on the Cooks River in Sydney and Ani Ronda has been a friend and a collaborator of mine. I made a body of visual artwork about the Cooks River uh, that was the subject of my, my study at Sydney College of the Arts. Estrita Namanis was an important collaborator on this, on this project. Estrita's book, Bodies of Water, really makes the point in lots of different ways about how we are made of water. We are... We are water held together in this particular shape for a certain period of time and that inevitably the water that's in us will go somewhere else and be the next thing it'll be and the composition of our bodies and the water in our bodies is similar to the composition of the water that's held in the world and thinking about the water or the river as a collaborator is definitely something that's been really useful over the last few years. Uh, I thought it was very important that I opened with Welcome to Country um, with my possum skin ceremonial cloak on and in language paying homage to my ancestors who were camped along the Cooks River, especially after the Appen Massacre. My people camped along the Cooks River. So if the troops came, 
they could get away on the bowies, on the canoe, along the river. And there's also a lot of artwork and middens and things that are very special to me and my family and my descendants as part of being First Nations people. We're reclaiming our language names and places. And so I refer to the river, not as the Cooks River, but as Uliari, which is Pelican. Claire and Estrida asked me to come into this event of walking the tide out. It's about walking the tide out to the ocean. It'll always be there and because of the ocean and the, the in, in of the water and the out of the water, you know, thinking about breathing. When you slow yourself down, your breathing's slowing down, you know, and so you're able to take in that lovely breath and lovely breeze of Purukurai, the wind, and the, hear the rustles of the leaves and just those beautiful things that you experience when you're close to water. There are these big tidal movements that happen every day in our walk together. We followed the salt water out of the river and that sense of the movement of water and almost the, the way that there's a kind of a, a movement in and a movement out each day is something very dramatic and global in scale and something that continues and something that's easy to ignore, easy not to pay attention to. And that's very beautiful and, and very expansive if you can find the time to slow down and to, to pay attention to it. For me, um, concentrating on the river has been a kind of a meditation tool. Other stuff comes in and takes you away and then there's a sense of return and, and a sense of concentrating on the, the little differences and the little continuities uh, with that river and with that water each day. I feel like the history of everything that's happened along that river is contained in it and, and it's there and it will be there into the future as well. So we have this incredibly powerful resource and incredi incredibly beautiful, powerful place that is available if we're able to find the time and to find the space to be able to, to give it our attention. Na mihi. Thank you to Claire Britton and Auntie Rhonda Dixon for sharing. Next we hear from Carl about his interactive work, thinking the Para River was the Ganges, and how he cracked the code, used a fun medium to convey a serious message about pollution. I was born in Westmead and I grew up along the river uh, all my life, like 25 years, quarter of a century. And I've always loved the river. My name is Karan Jedi. I'm an artist and musician and I also host on FBI2. I'm based on unceded Darug land in Western Sydney on Parramatta. The work that I want to talk about today is Immersion, the Power River Patch, which I made in 2020. The video part of Immersion is it's a performance where I swim in the Parramatta River and it's stylized as a video game. So you can imagine it's a it's kind of a plain video of a, of a guy swimming in the river, but the river is obviously polluted and it's against the backdrop of Parramatta's like major construction. So there's like a HUD, um, which is a heads up display or, a, or an interface. So there's like a health bar, a energy bar, 
there's a, another meter that says ego melt and there's um, a couple of other like things in the screen that notify what the character is doing. I already had the feeling of the work, like I wanted to swim in the river, but I didn't quite know why. So yeah, there was that kind of like research and development where I actually researched a lot of different history in the river. It's something that I grappled with making the work too. I was like, is it my job to tell the story of the river, of like different stories of the river to tell what pollution is in it? And I was like, no, actually, there are researchers who do that much better than me. And that's where the video came, aspect came into it. It was like, actually what the work is about is like, my relationship with the river or my perceived relationship with the river. When we were younger, we would take our dead pets or other dead animals around the <clears throat> around our backyard and we'd take them to the river and then put their bodies in the river and pray for them as if it was the Ganges. And it was only until that I was a teenager or an adult where I realized, you know, it's not actually the Ganges. You learn more about Aboriginal history as well and you learn that it's Daru country and you learn what Parramatta means um, and how it was more pronounced like Barramada, and you learn it's a place of the eels and freshwater and saltwater. And yeah, I guess the reason why I gamified it was it was a way of problematizing like my relationship with the river. Yes, I'm swimming in the river, but what does that actually entail? Like, what does the action mean? And gamifying it let me put in a lot of different elements and ideas, making it a game or using that video game aesthetics was a way of making it accessible, but also. I thought it was like a cheat. I was like, I found it. Like I found the code of like packing heaps of meaning into something without like forcing it down someone's throat. This work was kind of born out of, I don't want to say frustration because it's like a sad place to be motivated from. But yeah, it's a born out of an irony that you can't swim in rivers. And like our generation, our parents' generation takes that as normal. I would encourage people to like look into the history of the Parramatta River. It could be deep geological history 6,000 years ago. The history that I found like super interesting was even like 1930s onwards. Like there were people swimming in the in Parramatta River and Parramatta Park. And like, there was a spot called Little Kuji where people would actually swim in. And it was only until the 19... 50s and 60s where the pollution occurred and the kind of pollution occurred I think that is a very motivating kind of knowledge to know you know just your local waterway why can't you actually swim in it like what is in the river that is preventing people from swimming and fishing you know we all we've all seen the science polluted polluted waterway don't fish don't swim you know don't eat what you catch but when you actually learn what like it's it's, it's, it's horrifying it's actually crazy and it's actually nuts that this occurred within living memory it's not like it happened 100 years ago this happened like 60 years ago now, you know, 60, 50 years ago. It's actually like unbelievable how badly, how bad the waterway is now within like one lifetime. Next, I catch up with Luke Patterson and chat about his 2020 poem, The Authority of Creeks. My name is Luke. I'm a Gomorrah poet and uh, folklorist and musician and sometimes scholar. And I grew up 
down Durrell Way, Cornell, Cronulla area. Can you tell us a little bit about your work, The Authority of Creeks? Yes. So the poem came out of a writer's residency with an online arts journal, Running Dog. They were really amazing. It was an amazing opportunity. They run like uh, several uh, of these opportunities a year. Uh, And they basically introduce you to a bit of coding, a bit of digital poetic experimentation. So that was my first dive into that. And um, yeah, I produced this... uh, a very HTML flashing, shimmering, breathing kind of uh, poem. What's the kind of flow of the piece? I was living with my mum and my grandmother and my cousin and my two nephews at the time. <laughs> Full uh, house. Yeah, in uh, uh, Bardwell Valley near Woolai Creek. <laughs> Whenever I need to get out of the house, I would go <laughs> visit visit the uh, Woolai Creek and sometimes with my nephews and, and stuff like that. So mm. it's kind of a uh, just a, a vibe of that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So every time you read it, it's different. Yeah, and sometimes you go to read it and it'll be one moment that I was there and another, um, it'll be a different time, a different weather. That that feeling when you're walking in out of the corner of your eye, you just like catch a little skink tail mm. disappearing. That kind of feeling of um, transience of nature and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, the unpredictability of it all. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Visibility and <clears throat> disappearance are quite prominent points of the poem, I Mm. guess. And how does that work for you technically in creating it and then also revisiting it? As I said, there's that layering element. I wanted to get a feeling of over-timeness. For me, it's a somewhat like, yes, a very visual, digital Mm. flashing thing, but it's also um, a a sort of semi-improvised piece Mm. uh, because you can only capture or uh, read moments of it. It flows in an improvisational style, I suppose, but also there's a layering because it, it was kind of fragments, written with fragments of different occasions of me going mm. there. I'm obsessed with language. Like, I, it's kind of this strange visceral substance that kind of catches onto things, almost like a, a river in some sense. Like, language sort of is this flowing river that lifts up everything for me. Often, in some way, my poems are about language. Language coming from place, coming from country. And Now you'll hear Luke read some of his poem, The Authority of Creeks. As Luke was saying, this poem is fragmented and semi-improvisational, and each occasion that he went to the creek is reflected in different parts of the poem. I adore my sister's sons, and this tributary rhythm flow from dense seed bank corridor to ancient economies, precious Gadigal Bridgegar pockets. They're listening to she-oak wangal voices regrowing yarns on occupied land along this Woolai Valley walk inflections, orchestrations from their broken long before croaking English grew, cliff face, fossil flood borders, with broken glass, wetland salt marsh counterparts, a wound, this shady patch healing, tears this properly good old holiday voices, all day sing out in love and with every light speckled lizard sipping grevillea dew, or whispers of where new growth leaves sunny pollen on their faces that would babble like spring breezes, a shady grove a story, 
Stemlets tilt and dance animate in joyful tangles. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Canvas, Unframing Art and Ideas. Thank you to all the artists who shared their stories, voices and work. To find out more about the artists featured in this episode, scroll down to the show notes. This episode was brought to you by our fabulous team. Co-executive producers Emerald Dunfrost and Isabella Sanasi, producer and audio editor Kanika Kerpolani, researcher Elena Zorowski, and me, your host, Aisha Ash. Our intro music was made by the fabulous Jackie DeLacy. Canvas is an FBI radio podcast. If you like what you're listening to, hit subscribe, leave us a review, and share this podcast with someone you love. Check out our Instagram at canvas underscore 94.5 FBI for more great art content and show updates. Kia pai tera. Have a good day.